0: To Catholic stuff you should know, a J Ten initiative.
1: Hey, welcome to the podcast, Father John, Deacon Jacob, Deacon Jacob. Uh, round two this evening. Yes, a, another rainy Colorado afternoon here. Uh, we uh, just, uh, we're, we're catching up on, um, or we're trying to get ahead, uh, probably for the first time ever, um, and just recorded a very long Which one. funny, because
0: this one is going to come out like towards the end of the summer. Right. When we're no longer ahead, but we're talking about, we, we're getting ahead. And, exactly. Uh,
1: <laughs> but uh, yeah, just jumping on it. And so, um, last, the last one that we recorded together on artificial intelligence was deeply researched, well thought out, um, very articulated. This one will be none of those. Um, <laughs> but this will be a this one's going to be heartfelt how does that yeah. say yeah.
0: it's funny I'm, I'm an external processor so since you mentioned um two three months ago we we're still in the semester You said i want to do a podcast on artificial intelligence and i said sweet i'll take lead and i've been kind of been reading and studying on the background and revamping my christian metaphysics on it and all this stuff but especially the last two weeks i was at the New Parish assignment, and you know not as, not as many people around, not as many conversations, most of them in Spanish with the parishioners so go. all the stuff that i 'm reading is just just bouncing around in my head, and i 'm an external processor, and so I needed to get some externalized you know thought on this before I just did that on the podcast and so Ryan Mack was one. I just kind of like talked to Zeroff off as soon as he got back from uh, um, his home okay, and then I picked up uh, Connor Peterson. Oh yeah. From the airport. And you could probably ask him, he's probably annoyed by it, but for the forty minute drive back from the airport, I was just talking about all of the just random conceptual things that went from artificial intelligence to like multiverse, universe theory stuff, and then to Dostoevsky, Brothers Karamazov and especially the Grand Inquisitor. And I'm just like verbally dumping all this stuff on objects externally process So yeah, start out with thanks Connor Peterson, Let Yeah, me there do that you go. before. <laughs> no, when you
1: when you uh especially when you're uh, speaking a different language most of the time, and you have a mind that that is as active as as yours is it, it's it's it 's exhausting to not be able to express yourself at the rate that you want to yeah uh, and especially being an external processor it 's just like <laughs> I, I know the feeling very, very well from a Italian. number of, a number <laughs> of different language uh immersion <laughs> programs so uh yeah, so by the time this comes out you 'll be uh close to or if not en uh, route to world East Day
0: yeah. Yeah, we'll be heading out with uh, Our Lady of Lord's group. Heading in, I think I get in on the thirtieth of July. So I think that's about when this comes out.
1: Turn in the corner after that. Are you gonna stay in Europe after the? Uh... Yeah, I've got a
0: few days. Uh, since I'm already over there, I'm gonna meet up with uh, Jonathan Francois uh-huh. and Jason Dorito. They're gonna be in Lyon, and then the cheapest flight I could find back was out of London. So I'm gonna fly into London one morning and then spend a day in London and then fly home and I'm staying with a friend in, uh, the DC area, the Nortons, uh, friends from Steubenville Nice for, I think two days, two nights, three days, something like that before I fly out. Um, and then possibly I'm home, possibly I'm going down to Houston for a friend's, ba- friend's son's baptism. So it'll be a very busy end of the summer before we start right up into the nice. semester. And then so.
1: rolling into your last, uh, into your last year, man, it's crazy. Yep, And my 40s begin uh, shortly after this podcast comes out End of August I uh, go off the cliff And uh, become an old man Into the second half of life The cliff of irrelevance That's right, the cliff of irrelevance The inevitable slide as we say (laughs) Um, so yeah, so, uh, great summer. I have been in the mountains by this point, uh, recovering my humanity as I do every summer. We're doing time travel right now. We are. We're totally, we're still in the (laughs) AI kind of mode of like. I'd enjoyed climbing these mountains. That's right. Exactly. (laughs) Uh, I met all these new people and, uh, no, I, I, escape into the mountains in July to, uh, for writing and research, but also for prayer. And, um, I'm just always, um, amazed by, the restlessness of my active, just overactive life. And, uh, when I slow, I'm going on retreat next week. And when I slow it down, I sleep. <laughs> uh, and, uh, I go to this cabin, the Golders cabin. You've been there. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've talked about it before. Barbara and Steve listeners, great friends. Um, this is the most beautiful place ever. It's just absolutely remote. Can't see another light. I do take my shotgun, uh, <laughs> because I don't know, man, I don't know what's out there. Um, but uh i will yeah i feel like i just kind of come back to life again um and it's an amazing uh, experience and i don't know what it is it's for me it's the mountains and i know that's not for everybody i know for some people it's the beach uh uh or or the lakes um or the or the forest whatever but getting back into creation just it it rehumanizes and uh our 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 life and and you had that you you've spent a lot of time up in uh, glenwood in that area so yeah you understand (laughs) Just getting away, all getting right out away. of
0: the, getting out of the life as such, getting away from the phone, getting away from yeah, constant notification, um, being able to just kind of get back to being. Yeah, uh, is always a, a beneficial thing, and it's hard. We gotta, we gotta fight for that time. We all have responsibilities. We all have you know, family stuff, job stuff. But
1: yeah, well, today I'm not gonna muse on my typical kind of uh, outdoor mountaineering kind of <laughs> ethic. Psych. Today I'm gonna, I'm gonna be actually sentimental. Uh-oh. Yeah. That's
0: pr- you going to be okay with that? It's pretty hard.
1: Yeah. It, talk about AI. <laughs> this is artificial affectivity. Is that a real yeah, thing? Yeah. No, this is sin- this is sincere. This is deep stuff, <laughs> man. I'm feeling things yeah. deeply right now. Um, I am the proud godfather of a new godchild named Penelope hey, Joy Mathay. You know Brian and Haley Mathay. They live mm-hmm. up in Minnesota. Um, and uh, this, this little one... Um, is just this? She's just absolute. She's just a stunning and beautiful little girl. She was so sweet. Uh, the baptism was done by a guy named Father Spencer Howe, friend of mine up in the Twin Cities. I was up there for the god as the godfather, and then her sister Catherine is the godmother. So we had a great, uh, beautiful weekend together. Um, they had riffed before she was born. Um, actually, quite a while before about the name of a child, Penelope. <laughs> and I, I kind of like as soon as I heard that, I was like. I hope you have a daughter named Penelope and I hope I'm the godfather because there was just something about this. I felt kind of connected in this weird way to this child and uh, being a godparent is such an honor uh, but it's also a huge responsibility because you take the vows of their baptism on their behalf and you promise uh, their spiritual protection yeah. and so I feel with all of my godchildren, I feel a deep sense of uh, a bonding and and, a, and and just a spiritual connection to them uh and, and an exercise of spiritual paternity of like i'm these souls are entrusted to me for the rest of their life and so i have an ob, i have a deep obligation that i take upon myself and that responsibility is taken very seriously so penelope uh as you know is a name that comes out of homer's odyssey mm-hmm. do you know much about homer and the odyssey
0: uh, it's been a minute So year and a half since I last uh, engaged it.
1: So I've been thinking about uh, Penelope and her relationship with her husband Odysseus and the story of the Odyssey, and this podcast is kind of um, dating advice for Penelope (laughs) in fifteen years. Okay. This is this is kind of a weird one, Uh, but I told you I'm in a rather sentimental mood, Uh, and so um, this is going to be because what we're going to look at is Odysseus. And his relationship with Penelope, what happens, and then how does Dante interpret the rest of the story? Hmm. Right? Because I'm intrigued. Yeah, I'm intrigued.
0: Penelope's been an interesting character for me in the Odyssey when I have engaged it because her response doesn't seem great.
1: No, that's <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh,
0: to kind of everything, um, but I, I want your perspective. I don't want to impose.
1: Yeah, so I have a, I have a temptation to kind of. Um, I don't know how to say this, like romanticize the story, but, but looking back and reading back through the last few books of, um, of the odyssey, the last few days, it is, it is kind of a strange and interesting story. So very, very briefly, uh, introduction to, uh, Homer. This is eighth century BC. Um, the, the Iliad and the odyssey, uh, are the twofold books, both 24 books at length. Um, and they tell the first real epic story. Um, and it's 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 in a in a period of Greek thought that's uh, deeply mythological, uh, but also uh, highly dramatic. The epic drama tale is expressing something uh, of kind of unique importance to the to the Greeks at this time. Um, and this has become one of the most ancient texts that are still read uh, with regularity by modern readers. This is kind of the beginning yeah. of the Western canon in some ways. You start with Homer, um, you start with the Iliad, and you start with the Odyssey. When I was a young priest, we some of the companions and I were sitting around, and we we're like, we never read Homer, <laughs> so we picked these up and we read them. The story of the Odyssey so uh, follows from the story of the of the Iliad, where um, you have the Trojan Wars that are happening. So Helen of Troy, uh, Helen is taken from uh, the Greeks and um, and goes to Troy, and then there's this battle that ensues uh, for ten years. Uh, taking and before finally the the siege and the conquest of the city of Troy and it's all the the different gods kind of tied into all these kind of heroic and epic warriors uh, an amazing story, uh, but again it lasts ten years. Now one of the the men who leaves his kingdom a man named Odysseus or Ulysses is the Latinized English version of it, but Odysseus, where we get the story of the Odyssey, his story, um, goes to fight in the in the in the Trojan War. So he leaves his wife, Penelope, who's the queen of Ithaca, uh, and he's gone for 10 years of battle. That's the first story. We don't really hear much about Odysseus in that one. There's other characters who are more involved. But then the second part, Homer's part two, is the story of Odysseus trying to get back to Ithaca, which takes him another 10 years. Mm-hmm. So he's captured by this uh, nymph for seven years and it's kind of stuck on this island. Um, and then it's a three-year kind of shipwreck, crazy story, Cyclops, uh, all these different kind of, uh, kind of wild adventures um, that eventually lead him back to Penelope. By the time he arrives back, um, she has been bombarded and uh, really kind of um, manipulated and, and used by these suitors who are trying to take over the kingdom, and everybody thinks he's dead because he's been gone for 20 years, and her son
0: because um, even those who came back from the war 10 years of fighting uh, in troy he wasn't one of the ones who came back because there's another 10 years so was right. like he didn't make it
1: he didn't make it so his son telemachus goes out to try and find him and and ends up talking to these guys who were in the war of melanus and and uh helen who ends up coming back to the greek isles and these things uh but there's 108 suitors who are trying to take her um and she's in this kind of difficult spot and the story goes where he ends up kind of coming back and uh athena who's his his kind of patroness disguises him as a poor beggar and he comes and he sits by the fire and he tells the story uh, and he's kind of testing her fidelity um and that might be what you remember kind of her Mm -hmm. cold kind of um and then uh And she's just kind of in in total despair at this point, and just does not believe that he could possibly be back. Yeah,
0: because she's she's kind of despaired of him uh, living. She doesn't want to remarry. She doesn't want to lose hope, but she kind of has. Uh, But she's also just letting these other suitors. It's not just that they're like, hey, we're here. It's great. They're feasting on his kingdom and and their property for years, just basically running them into whatever would be poverty because they're just using all of his goods, all of his sheep, all of his everything. And his son, uh, who would be the heir, is just watching this happen. And so he's frustrated and she just kind of seems to let it happen. And she's like, I'm not going to make it. And she kind of toys with them. And for a while she did, what was the, there's a story of she would, she would like, weave something and then unweave it while they slept and she said when she completed it she'd make a decision but uh, she finally got caught in her deception and we're right. like you gotta make a decision <laughs> you've been pulling this off for too long but it seems very kind of um, kind of hands off dismissive she doesn't really make action that's why I always, was never really impressed by her character see
1: that's so interesting because I see her as the the. I have a very different kind of portrayal of her in my mind of just like the. she is the kind of steadfast and faithful but also the the woman of just receptivity yeah. of just like waiting and, and humble patience. Like I is almost like a Marian mm-hmm. character to kind of put that on her. But I, I've always kind of admired that about her, but rereading this, I get what you're saying. But there's also, it, cause there's also, it's, 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 it's
0: difficult when you read these. The first time I read, I thought Achilles was like the coolest guy ever. Mm-hmm. And then I read, uh, I reread the Iliad last year, I'm a little more familiar with that one off the top, but I'm reading him. He's like, this is the worst character in the book. He's terrible. Right, Achilles is not a good guy, impressive guy. Uh, so just our perspective can change over time, and I, I do see that side of it too. Um, and she was maybe a little more handcuffed. She didn't. She didn't have the uh, an army at her a beck and call to run these guys out. And Telicus the son is still young and not ready. So she's kind of in a tough spot, but.
1: Well, there definitely is kind of a timidity to the character, um, but there. But Homer really does praise some of her virtues, some of her her kind of reverence and her, um, and her ability to kind of she stays faithful to mm-hmm. him for for 20, twenty years and and doesn't kind of capitulate. Um, so then there's finally the the great kind of um, scene where they come back together, and and uh, of course. Um, Odysseus and his son slaughter all of the guys. One of the most
0: brutal scenes in all of
1: (laughs) the Western canon. Oh man, it's crazy. (laughs) But then there's this interesting line in the end of Book 23 because what I'm focusing on today is um, this is dating advice for Penelope uh, in 15 years. (laughs) Not as much about do you model is Penelope going to be your model of as a for the feminine. we can go back and forth. We can debate on that. But what I'm going to say is Odysseus, there's a quality in him that you definitely just be aware of in men. I think it's, <laughs> yes. in, I think it's in both of us. Um, and we'll get to that in a second, but there's this um, kind of mysterious line at the end of book 23. So this is kind of towards the end of the book where Odysseus is now uh, reunited with his wife and he, and he, he, they stay up all night telling the story of his whole um, 20 year kind of journey and, um, And then he says this, he says, uh, Odysseus, seasoned veteran, says to his wife, Dear woman, we have still not reached the end of all our trials. One more labor lies in store, boundless, laden with danger, great and long, and I must brave it out from start to finish. And then she says, please tell me about this trial still to come. I'm bound to learn later. And he says, the prophet said that I must rove through towns on towns of men, that I must carry the well-planned or until I come to a people who know nothing of the sea, and at last my own death will steal me away. And Penelope says, And so, Penelope said in her great wisdom, If the gods will really grant a happier old age, there's hope that we'll escape our trials at last. (laughs) So this is a very kind of mysterious line. The first night back, he's been away from his wife for 20 years, and the first night, they're together. It's been good. It's been good, I'm but sure. i got to head out again. <laughs> but I'm not done. So fast forward um, about 20 centuries, and you have Dante, and he's writing his Divine Comedy. Right. So this is the year 1300 now. Um, and Dante, surprisingly, is going to put Odysseus, in Hell, okay now I say surprisingly because dante has has a strong sense that pagans are not in heaven because they 're not baptized uh, but but the noble pagans are where do you remember limbo they 're in limbo right they 're in the front of the uh, in the kind of the you come in through the gates of hell, and limbo is this kind of kind of mansion type thing that they're all just kind of hanging out in. And then you cross over the river. Yeah, They're not
0: suffering the torments of hell, but they're not in heaven. Right. And they're not in purgatory where they could be ascending to heaven. They're just chilling there at the the, the front front lawn mansion.
1: Yeah. So, so we have to go way, way down into hell. Uh, there's 34 cantos in the inferno. We're in Canto 26. And here we come into the eighth ditch of Malabog, uh, where the evil counselors are wholly swathed in flames and speak with the tongue of fire at the top. And Dante asks Virgil to call upon, and all of a sudden here we hear Ulysses or Odysseus arrives and he recounts the story of the rest of his life. Mm. Now this is a very interesting creative move because we know nothing of this from Homer. So this is just pure Dante kind of playing it out.
0: But kind of taking that last Uh,
1: I think he's working from that last line of this is the last adventure. Okay. So he starts to tell the story uh, of these. uh, There's a guy, Diomenes, who's with him, but Odysseus um, kind of says this line. um, Neither the sweet affection for my son, nor piety due to my father, nor the love I owed Penelope to bring her joy could drive from me the burning to go forth to gain experience of the world and learn of every human vice and human worth. I sent myself on the deep open sea with only a boat and that small troop of men, my friends, who never had abandoned me. I saw the shores of either continent, up to Spain and Morocco, Sarsardinia, and with all the other isles that oceans bathed. I and my comrades were stiff-limbed and old when we arrived within the narrow mouth where Hercules once set his warning signs. So they pass out through the Straits of Gibraltar, Mm out into, in pursuit of the uh, southern hemisphere. They're trying to go to the ends of the world, right? And he says, When far off there appeared a mountain shore, hazy and dark, which seemed to loom so high, no man has ever seen so high a peak before. And then they cheered. We cheered, but soon that cheering turned to woe, for then a whirlwind born of the strange land battered our little vessel to the prow until the ocean closed above our bones. So they come to the site of the Mount of Purgatory, and are shipwrecked and die in the waters and that's the end of the story of uh, of our friend Odysseus. Odysseus so one of the the really kind of beautiful lines in this is my love of Penelope the love I owed Penelope to bring her joy could drive it could not drive me from the burning to gain the experience of the world hmm. so The restless wanderer that Odysseus is ends up in hell because, uh, as Anthony Esalen will call it, there is kind of a presumptuous, what is he, he says, a presumptuous audacity. It's the desire for more knowledge, for more experience. He says, uh, Odysseus is the emblem of the desire to know without acknowledging anything or anyone higher than oneself. So Odysseus, throughout the Odyssey, is known for his intelligence and his wit yep. and his kind of masterful held up tactician, as, yep, as they say.
0: Tactician and a, a orator that can convince.
1: Right. And so his his kind of restless desire um, and the invention, the kind of poetic invention that that, um, that Dante uses here, is to describe for us a kind of character that will lead us to hell, a kind of quality will lead us to hell, which is this kind of restlessness of spirit, the refusal to acknowledge limitations, and the kind of moving beyond new experiences constantly. And I certainly have felt this in my own life, right? Uh, every few years, I do something different. Or I have. Like, even with priesthood, it was like two years here, two years here, two years here, two years, here, two years. And, and now I'm, I'm settling into kind of a long haul in one place. <laughs> With the same guys, you know, doing the same thing. And you get that itch for like, what's next? I got to get out. I got to do something, you know. Anything. Anything.
0: I, I almost, I wanted to buzz my hair last year and Father Trevor's like, what is it with you guys? And just needing to change stuff all the time.
1: Right. <laughs> and I think that all of us have a, all four of us on the podcast have a deep love of adventure and we love to pursue. But this pursuing experience for experience's sake, as he describes here, Is something that has to be mortified in in the human person so there's a kind of self-denial that says are we living out adventure in such a way as ordered towards the higher loves or are those higher loves kind of subsumed actually beneath our own desire for just the pursuit of anything Mm -hmm. the pursuit of all of experience in itself and the category of experiencing things, just wanting to see the world, wanting to know anything, the kind of it's the restlessness and that kind of endless desire and pursuit of things that is, is in all of us, uh, but I think is, is particular to men. And this is the quality that, that Dante is trying to draw out of Odysseus to say, he got all the way back to Ithaca. He was with her. The story ends happily ever after, but it doesn't.
0: Which, if you're reading the story is the goal the whole time in the Odyssey, right? Get home, get back to Penelope, save her from the suitors, kill them all, make them pay. Oh, I can't rest. Yeah. I got to the, I'm done. Nope.
1: <laughs> so then the question becomes, well, what is the source of, how do we kind of regulate this? The, the restlessness of the human heart? Like how does, cause okay, so God does that restless. Our hearts are restless until they rest in God. Augustine, beautiful. Love it. True. Um, but what exactly, how do we do that in, in a way that doesn't just squash and make us kind of um, kind of weak and defeatistic?
0: Yeah, because I think the opposite vice, we're talking about a, a restlessness that can't ever actually accept permanence and responsibility. Always has to be seeking a new experience. The opposite, sadly, I'm experiencing with a lot of high schoolers right now, is almost the lack of any desire you know, I asked, asked some kids recently, if you had a whole week off of school, didn't have to do anything, what would you do? I don't know. Nothing. Maybe, maybe play basketball. (laughs) Yeah, that's it. Um, where's the desire? Where's the, it's like, that's not rest either. Yeah. Um,
1: so that becomes the question is, okay, we have these kind of restless hearts, especially those of us who just love to experience things and kind of break out in adventure, the kind of, we, we have those of us who are drawn into Odyssey um, and are not satisfied for whatever reason. Um, to avoid the aimlessness that leads to a life that is loveless, which is the case a lot of times. It's cool when you're 20 to do this. You're 40? Okay. Not so cool. Not so cool. right? Things are not looking the same.
0: Father Michael O'Loughlin told me as I was starting seminary, he says, my generation is about to find out that the radical autonomy, the ability to up and go, no responsibility more than a dog, didn't satisfy my desire for love. Right. And he said, My generation is who you're going to be ministering to when they realize that they just spent the last 25, 30 years of their life without love, without any permanence, without any true meaning, just That's kind of it. an aimless.
1: Yeah. I had a really amazing conversation with um, Keenan. Uh, Keaton O'Rourke, I almost said Fitzpatrick, but Keegan <laughs> O'Rourke, uh, who's a friend of Father Brady's and mine, he works at the diocese. And we were out having a beer on Friday and talking. And we were just, he just made this comment that I really struck me because I was it convicted me. He's like, when we get together, like he was talking about his friends, but I was like, geez, this is definitely my <laughs> life. What do we talk about? Travel. Like ever since COVID happened, yeah. all we've been talking about is travel. This is all I do especially with people of, of who, are, who are wealthy. We started this podcast with, you're going to World Youth Day.
0: What are you doing? You? I know. I know. That's what we do. But that's how we evaluate the summer, uh, yeah. is
1: what's the next adventure? Yeah. What's the next thing? What's the next trip? What are you doing? Where are you going? Well, we got to get out of the city. And everybody is on the move again, and nobody has time for anybody anymore because we're always now on the move and we're traveling. And I was just I was just very uh, personally convicted on that, also reading Del Noche on The Affluent Society and – our whole kind of redu- reduced notion of well-being, which I think is tied into this kind of this uh, presumptuous audacity that says, I will experience the things that I want to maximalize in the world, and that'll be the source of meaningfulness um, and the fulfillment of my desire. I don't think so. So what's the answer? Well, and this ties into um, what I was talking about this afternoon with uh, John Paul the Great uh, faculty, which is great. We are reading the Rule of St. Benedict together. So another ancient text, 6th century. Uh, and Benedict starts by saying, there's four kinds of monks. Do you remember this?
0: <laughs> I read this right before starting seminary, and I said, oh, no.
1: Oh, no. <laughs> so he says there's chenobites, there's uh, anchorites, there are, what's the third one? Cerobites, and then there are this crazy word, uh, gyrovags. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to start using that as an insult. You gyrovag. Gyrovag. Um so cenob- Cenobites are monastic, so they live in a monastery, monks who live in a monastery under a rule of life with an abbot. Okay. Anchorites are ones who have perfected the um the common life and thereby live they're hermits, they live yeah. by themselves.
0: By themselves or in a cell uh, right. within the monastery, but never leaving that cell.
1: Right. The third Serabites—they're the most detestable kind of monks. Who, with no experience to guide them, no rule to try them, have character as soft as lead. This is the, this is the person who just um, is just totally governed by the the slavery of their own desires. Yeah. There's no mortification. There's no sense of discipline. It's just kind of it's I do what that, I want.
0: That monastic life is a backstop for them to be able to, you know exist and be taken care of but exactly. they, they don't actually grow in virtue or faith uh, or or um works of charity
1: right that's kind of clericalism as everybody kind of throws this this word around it's it's so overplayed and misunderstood but that's kind of the the kind of yeah, yeah it's the idea mm-hmm. of
0: i'm just going to kind of exist for myself yeah. and i'm not gonna i'm not gonna grow i'm not gonna
1: an entitled worldliness yeah. yeah but the fourth and final one there are monks called gyrovags who spend their entire lives drifting from region to region staying as guests for three or four days in different monasteries, always on the move. They never settle down and are slaves to their own wills and gross appetites. In every way, they are worse than Cerebites.
0: Yeah, and what is the solution? It Do not
1: be- welcome them. Do not welcome <laughs> them. He says, It is better to keep silent than to speak of all of these and their disgraceful way of life. Let us pass by then and with the help of the Lord proceed to draw up a plan for a strong for the strong kind, the Cenobites. Yeah. So, Benedict is saying something right off the gun is that not every guy, not every kind of monk is going to make it in this monastery. Only the ones who are committed to a common life under a rule of life. And this is the point. Rule comes from the Latin word regula, where we get the word regulate. Yep. The Christian, and this is the the point of the conversation this afternoon uh, with the school teachers, which was awesome, uh, which ties into a lot of the things I think about in the seminary. And I would say in the Christian life at large, Namely, to be a Christian means to live according to a rule of life. You do not just live your own project of self-created holiness. You don't live out your own kind of quest for the perfect Catholic community or whatever that might be. You don't just travel and drift and do whatever you want. You can't just settle into worldliness and achadia. It has to be about, I live according to a rule of life. Before the scriptures were written and pulled into a canon by the church. There was something called the Regula Fide. We studied this in fundamental theology, but that was years ago. <laughs> the Regula Fide, the rule of faith, was what governed the Christian life. There was a certain things that we did, always. And there were certain things that were believed, always. And that was part and parcel of the life, because as, as we've talked about before, and you know, Christianity was lived before it was defined and articulated. It was, it was the living reality. It's Christ life It's the Incarnation Extended. That's what the Church is. And so the Regula Fide, the rule, was this unwritten but lived foundation that regulated and gave form to the Christian life in the first centuries. And it was the great rules of the monasteries um, that followed and articulated that in a more concrete and practical form and founded a state in life called monasticism. But every Christian lives as a rule of life. All hmm. right. Now in the companions we wrote a rule of life because we wanted something that, that could govern our association, our fraternity life. Married couples don't need to write a rule of life. In fact, they, I would that would be inadvisable. You're already living a rule of life. Like this is what time the kids go to bed. This is what time we go to bed. This is why we don't watch Netflix every night. Maybe you do it on Saturday nights. I don't know. This is what time, this is when we exercise. This is when we go to adoration. This is where we go to mass every week. There's a rule of life that plays out. And one of the challenges that we face is getting families, seminaries, schools to think of all of the rules and the discipline and the things they got to do. Everything that kills myself will, which we don't (laughs) want to die. We want to live. Uh, we have to see that not as a bunch of rules that i got to blow off and go live my uh, my own odyssey and kind of sail out into the ocean in pursuit of the next experience, actually the normative way to holiness and to and to wholeness as a person is the exact opposite it 's to live according to a rule mm. to have something regulating and that 's what Odysseus blows off when he when he takes off west and then south
0: yeah because the the again, the two errors of not living a rule is that drifting, the drifting monk that does nothing or just kind of serves himself, drifts through the day. Um, or you have the one that just seeks adventure and, and self-gratification by kind of a grasping. So either way, it's, it's a passive or uh, an active, just unregulated, as you would say, um, wandering. And I, I find that, I find both of those traits in myself, yeah, in a pretty damning way at times. I, I'm with you. I'm with you.
1: <laughs> um, now, I would not. Uh, oh, sorry. Go ahead and finish your thought there. No, I'll hold. I would not also um, condemn you too much because one of the things that I will say is that um, we're made for adventure. We're made for mission. We're made for uh, experience. Like it's not just bad, um, but the question is: is the rule of life of being Catholic? as a way of life does that come to bear on my adventure hmm. on my travel and why yeah the notion of vacation vacare, i'm going to exit out of life are you praying yeah on your vacation uh i know priests who or you know who are like oh thank god i'm going on vacation i don't have to say mass i don't have to pray get a break from it and it's like no 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 that that's not how it works and so we do do things like we go on mountains, we climb mountains and we say mass on the mountains and we, we go into the back country and you fish, but you pray and you read and we live a rule of life. Um, It's going to be modified of course. um, But I just think that we can recover and redeem the experiences of adventure and travel and not just settle into kind of a boring um, urban existence where we just never leave. And we just kind of, go to Geico to work every day. Um, <laughs> my,
0: my intuition light bulb just went off. Okay. Uh, let me know if you think this plays out too, but we've talked about you know, the comfort crisis before. And sometimes I think the the wandering adventure, as we do and kind of the affluent adventure uh, travel, is a comfort in its own right. Um, it's not the comfort of I'm sitting on my couch watching Netflix for 15 hours. Um, I'm ordering fast food all the time because I don't want to cook and clean up after myself. Uh, There's a comfort there that is inactive. But then there's this comfort of, I don't have to take on greater responsibilities. I don't have to settle down. I don't have to enter into society, a neighborhood, a family. Um, There's a comfort of being able to just kind of uh, leave everything behind. And that comfort is almost more, um, more nefarious because you feel like you're doing something and you can tell really good stories at parties. (laughs) I mean, this was me, this was my story. I think I've told it on the podcast before, but I'm sitting in Iceland in 2015 by myself, 2014 or 15 by myself after having met up with my sister who was studying abroad in Milan and we came by Rome. We saw you and father Mike, uh, we went to Munich had, you know, good, good times with her. Um, but we were kind of like running next thing, next thing, next thing. And I even look back on that trip and I kind of regret like, man, I didn't just sit and rest and be with my sister as a brother sister relationship and let it kind of like grow. It was like, well, we're going here. We're going to see this. We're going to do this. We're going to do this. And there was a bonding, but there was also like a regret in my life of it was always to the next thing to the point where we get to the Christmas market in Vienna and my sister's really excited to be there. And I'm wrecked and tired because I've just been driving from, you know, uh, sorry, in Munich, I just drove from Garming to Munich, and I'm now I'm tired. We came from the airport hotel that she was flying out of the next day. We get into the Christmas market, and I don't get to let her enjoy this thing that she wanted to do. Uh, as much as she would have because i'm tired and i'm a buzzkill, and i don't want to wait in lines and we go to the Hofburg house and it's crowded and we it's like i stole that from her because i was on the go 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 as opposed to the person Uh, and then i'm sitting in iceland alone because i've always wanted to go to iceland because iceland for the millennial is the place to go the place to have adventure and experience and get the greatest landscape photography ever done Um, and i got to see the northern lights dream come true. I get to you know see Iceland, dream come true. I'm sitting there texting friends at home because I'm just like, what am I doing here? Yeah, I'm so, I'm so aimless right now. And that was kind of the turn. That was one of the turns, big turns, that brought me back to really remembering the call and kind of bringing me back to, to the road that got me to seminary.
1: Yeah. I was thinking about the life of Walter Mitty yeah. as you were speaking.
0: Oh, that's exactly why. I mean, yeah. I just saw that movie, and I'm like, I got to go to Iceland. I yeah. Got it. yeah, that's so. it.
1: And I think that, you know, kind of bringing this all together and kind of closing it up here, um, what is the fatal and really mortal sin, you could say, of Odysseus in Dante's eyes? It's the overindulgence for, ex- for the next experience. hmm Uh, And this is a line that really struck me today from the Rule of St. Benedict. This is chapter 39. He says, For nothing is so inconsistent with the life of any Christian as overindulgence. Nothing is so inconsistent with the life of the Christian than overindulgence. So the work of self-denial, of mortification or asceticism, is a work of Chastening the body and the desires, but even for experience and travel and mobility and and the new, just the freshness and newness of, of seeing places and and things. It's the, um, that has to be checked.
0: Yeah. I'd even throw it uh, the desire for newness of ideas and knowledge. I can't sit with Catholic truth and tradition, right. Because it's boring now, right? I it's it's I'm I'm no longer intrigued by it. So I need to come up with the or engage the new thought. I need to talk to the. You know the the drug doing guru to see what uh, where my mind could be opened up to. If that's I like. it, and so it's kind of a gnostic desire for secret knowledge that I see as well. With so many of the conspiratorial kind of rabbit holes you go down, uh, and I'm susceptible to that as well yeah. as the adventure one. Yeah. So it's like we always just want more,
1: more, more. That's it. So Penelope, this is your godfather speaking here. Fifteen years. <laughs> before um we are doing time travel stuff yes travel stuff today um but beware of men of the gyro vags (laughs) or whatever they're (laughs) called uh i hope she uses that like yeah, this was a decent first date, but you're, oh, just, she's a gonna gy- be, you're
0: she's, just a gyrovag, so I'm she's out. She's going to
1: be 15, <laughs> and this is going to be like the equivalent of a VHS cassette that her dad translates, <laughs> and she's going to be completely mortified. Like, this is so embarrassing. I can't believe you made that guy my godfather. What's an MP3 file? Exactly. What d- <laughs> but beware of presumptuous audacity in men, but also in yourself, uh, because of that, again, that Gnostic desire for new knowledge that will set me free. Um, so much of life, uh, the adventure of life is that it's done in communion. It's done for purpose, but it's done as Christians, which means under the rule of faith with Christ as a source, uh, of, of, of spiritual growth, of spiritual meaningfulness, and ultimately of holiness. That's, that's what it's about. And so long as the adventures of life are are drawn into that, they're, they're just ennobled and elevated and made all the more beautiful.
0: Uh, (laughs) I'm going to tell the story, no names, um, hopefully, people aren't listeners, or if they are, they don't take this as criticism because I'm also criticizing myself here. I think I've told you this story, but I was at a coffee shop somewhere in the Denver area, and there was a young woman who I know uh, who seemed to be on a date with a guy that I didn't know. I happened to be working there. They sit down, they're talking within earshot, so I'm kind of eavesdropping. Not the most virtuous thing, I guess, but I was just, this guy was talking about how much he hated his job, hated his life, wanted to change things, and God bless this girl. She just goes, well, what are you going to do about it? Great question. Challenge challenge the guys. <laughs> um, don't let them just sit. Yeah. yeah. But what are you going to do about it? He's like, oh, well, I thought about this. You know, maybe maybe go further schooling for this or that or the other thing. Maybe I want to step out and kind of start my own business here, whatever. Next question. So why don't you do one of those things? <laughs> Again, she's just like pushing down until he finally just goes, yeah, I just... I really like my freedom right now. My job gives me a pretty good schedule. Like, you just complained about how much you hate your job and your life and everything's going, you feel aimless and you're not going anywhere, but you won't let it go because you really love your freedom that you can go out on these random, uh, really unimportant, uninvigorating adventures to the mountains here. That's why everybody comes to Colorado when they're young so they can have the mountainous adventures or overseas because we have this kind of idea of it's probably come from the movies we'll find ourselves if we go to europe we'll find ourselves if we go to iceland we'll find ourselves if we go to india i just watched the new spider-man multiverse spider one and they go to this spider-verse where the spider-man's in india and they're flying through and so one of the one of the spider characters is like going through his existential crisis trying to figure out who he is and the indian spider-man goes oh how wonderful you came to india to figure out you know to have a have an experience of self-realization what a what an overplayed western trope oh, man. <laughs> and i was like kind of like dang it yeah <laughs> um but i like travel itself can be fruitful and i i've had experience much of my vocation story um comes from places where i encountered the universal church uh, but there's other times where I've traveled because I was traveling for the sake of being able to tell people I went to this place, to have had the experience. And it's, there's a marked difference from when I'm going through Rome and I realize everybody's here to look in a museum and Christ is there yeah. in the Eucharistic Chapel. And it just kind of like transformed my five days in Rome where every church I went to, I went first to the Eucharistic Chapel and then toured the church and the art because I was situating what was first as opposed to going to have an experience say, oh, I saw, I saw the Pieta. I saw the Mona Lisa. I have a picture with it. I have a selfie with it. Um, and so what I wanted to do was like go up and like just shake this guy's shoulders, be like, do something, yeah. anything, yeah. and then turn to her and be like, he's not ready for you. Right. <laughs> so that's my advice that's uh, good. To, to your goddaughter. But um, I, I say that, and I'm critical of that, because that was me for seven years. Yeah, um, and I and I can see it so clearly, and I see the vestiges of it. So, I'm criticizing myself first more than anything.
1: Yeah, and it's it's mutual. It, it's a good it's a good check for us. we were reading um, in the office of readings this morning. Saint uh, Dorotheus, I think, is the name on self accusation. Like mm-hmm. this is important. We got to acknowledge this in us. But I, I'm just gonna I'm gonna put a final plug in Penelope in Homer. I think that she embodies for me the commitment to the rule of life, to to staying true to the, the country land, to the vocation, to the life. Yeah, there's weakness and compromise in these things, and she, the, it gets overrun, but um, it's kind of a heroic suffer- story of suffering. Yeah. Um,
0: You're winning me over to that side. Okay. I, I think, especially as Odysseus, the great tactician, she's she's kind of a tactician as well in yeah. this way. She's She doesn't want to go along with the suitors and so she finds ways to postpone 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 which comes from a place of hope uh comes from a place of love so
1: well it's (laughs) penelope's dilemma uh to find herself with uh with this restless wanderer um who in the end dies dies uh very tragically but
0: very counter to what she did so
1: very counter to what she did and uh but a good corrective from saint benedict uh today on regulating our life and everything we do, even our adventure. Okay, that's awesome. it. Awesome. Uh, do you have any shout-outs?
0: Did we have that one? Uh, you've already probably Miranda. done it. Miranda. I got Miranda. Okay, Everybody's great.
1: asking about Miranda. Well, we all got emailed. Yeah, from Miranda.
0: Uh, I do, well, as you're doing yours, I'm looking up one.
1: Alex and Allie Fisher, uh, great friends of mine. I might have given uh, Alex a shout-out earlier. They have a Penelope also, <laughs> who goes by Poppy, which I think is really cute. Um, and uh, but Alex just became Catholic this spring, married 10 years ago. Uh, I did their wedding 10 years ago, uh, and just a fantastic couple. Just they're awesome. So, shout out to them. And then, of course, to Brian and Haley Mathay, Declan, uh, and his sister Penelope Joy. So,
0: yeah, I shout out to Alec Veets, I believe. He said he's a parishioner at Lourdes, um, didn't have my information, sent a YouTube video of, um, kind of a, a YouTuber who does film criticism, Thomas Flight. Uh, thanks for sending that video along. I hadn't seen that one. He's one of my favorite kind of film critics on YouTube. So I was aware of him. Uh, glad you're listening to his stuff. I think he does interesting things. And uh yeah I think that's that type of film criticism. Uh looking at art with a critical eye. We're able to read into Odysseus, we're able to read into Dante, we're able to watch film. Um, but we're always we're always doing it not just to be entertained. But to actually uh, wrestle with, with what is truth, what is good, what is beautiful, uh, and what are we here for. So thanks for sending that my way.
1: Good. Well, thank you, buddy. I'm wishing you a very blessed summer and don't be a gyro bag. All right. <laughs> Catholicstuffpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. We will see you next